stats, booms, busts, sleepers. Listen to Adam and Vincent with Fantasy Pandemic on Monday and Thursday evenings via Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow them on Twitter at Fantasy Pandemic, at Fantasy Cajun, and at FF Little Finger. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Pandemic Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bryce, along with my co-host, Vincent Argrave. Uh, tonight, we're going to be looking at our tight end rankings, getting ready for the NFL draft here in a week and a half. Vincent, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty pumped up about that. No, I'm uh, super ready. It's all the uh, ESPN was advertising, all the different announcers they're going to have for that, and uh, the NFL Network guys, and looking at um, how they're going to have it set up the different uh, personalities, Roger Goodell from the basement, you know, calling out picks. So it's definitely going to be interesting. Hopefully they can find even more ways to make it interactive. I've heard stuff about doing surveys like uh, Twitter polls to see who should be picked, when and where. So I'm, I'm very excited. Some real impactful football decisions. Yeah, you know, that's gonna it's gonna be interesting, man. I tell you what, uh, I, I guarantee the ratings are probably going to be insane. I mean, that's gonna be the first sporting event in shit almost a month now, huh? Yeah, I saw a video from Taiwan. Guy hit a home run. Two teams played, and no attended, no attendance in the I think ballpark. I saw that highlight. It was the first home run of twenty twenty. So wow. Jeez, wow. All right. Well, uh, every now and then we're, we get uh, listener questions on Twitter, and we have a question in from uh, a young man on Twitter named Justin Pate, and he asked us to evaluate a trade for him. He traded in a half-point PPR dynasty league. He traded Alvin Kamara for Leonard Fournette and Allen Robinson. Um, you know, on the surface, I think this trade looks pretty good. He, he returns – you know, a person I'm pretty high on, that's Allen Robinson, who I think is more than capable of having another top 12 season. And, you know, Leonard Fournette, I think, is probably the biggest question mark in this deal, in my opinion. You know, he's got Gardner Minshew coming in on his second season. You know, Minshew's got, you know, full off season with Fournette and Shark and everyone else in Jacksonville. Uh, what's Jacksonville going to do in the draft? Um, but in general, you know, you do ship Alvin Kamara over to uh, another team and you lose that weapon. Um, you know, last year he was playing on a half a leg. I saw a video today where look, he was doing some serious workouts, and he looks a lot bigger than he did last year. Uh, on the surface, though, I think it's a pretty good trade. How about you, Vincent? Yeah, I think in a vacuum it's pretty fair. Uh, obviously, the whoever has a single player should be the best player in the deal unless you really can hoodwink somebody. But you want to feel like if you're getting the two guys that it's not equal. And I think that's where it does balance out because, you know, Leonard's – about as close as you can get probably with a two-for-one with somebody of the quality of Kamara. Um, obviously, there are the risks, you know, but, you know, Alvin's not the picture of health. Leonard's not the picture of health. Robinson's not the picture of health. So they all kind of have their question marks. I do think that they're, you know, wh- how you feel about um, Alan Robinson and how, you know, I think we both feel about Fournette. You know, you kind of get that second-level type of guys, not necessarily, not necessarily tier two, but kind of in the, you know, top 20 guys and, they're going to put up more points. So it really goes down to the team makeup, you know, the scoring, obviously, but the, the team structure and what they had, um, I, I think the team, you know, we, we looked at the rosters, uh, the team that ended up with Kamara who gave up the two pieces, his squad looks a little better overall. Now one trade is not going to fix a roster, but he had a lot of uh, options, whether it was at running back or at wide receiver where um, Jared, who traded away Kamara didn't have quite, the depth 
So you can understand why he would want the two for the two for one and looking at his pieces. I, like I told you when I first saw it, yeah, I would be much more inclined to do it if it was somebody other than Allen Robinson based off of how I feel about him. But like I said, based off of you, how you feel about him, if I felt that same way, say it's Cooper Cup, you know, we're kind of similar there. Um, I would be much more inclined to think, okay, the two overdoes the one, even though the one has more value because it's going to hold a spot. Um, and this also being a league where you only have to start one running back. So uh, the wide receiver depth obviously is going to help Jared there. So it, it, I think in a vacuum, it was really good. I like the roster after better with Kamara, but you know, that was, you know, a very deep roster. So you can't, like I said, you can't fix everything all at once. So you got to move pieces and, you know, I, I salute uh, honestly for Jared's, you know, who I don't know Justin. other than Justin, uh, who I don't <laughs> know other than uh, Twitter. I, uh, I salute somebody willing to, you know, sling big names. You know, that's one thing I think people miss out on a lot of opportunity because, you know, they draft a guy in the first or second round whenever it is or in a dynasty. And it's even harder in a dynasty because you can own that guy forever. But to be able to do it, to make a move, like that's the type of things that I think help you win. You know, that's what I try to do. You try, you try not to get too attached and the bigger the name, the bigger the trade. So I, I salute that. And I, I think it'll probably work out for both. Bar yeah, injury. I think it's a good trade for both teams, really. I, I looked at both roster makeups. You know, the, the other team, you know, had some pretty strong running backs with Kareem Hunt and Todd Gurley. And then, you know, you add Alvin Kamara to that with Tom Brady. And he had a pretty good set of receivers. You know, uh, Justin, on the other hand, has got Saquon Barkley, a running back, and Aaron Rodgers, a quarterback. And now he's got Allen Robinson, Adam Thielen, and several other wide receivers to kind of go along with Leonard Fournette. Um, I think it's really a good trade for both of them. He did – Justin need, did need some depth, and he acquired that depth. So – yeah, it's it definitely because those guys that he named, you named pretty much, and he has Tyler Boyd as well. So he'll kind of – but those are his guys. Like, that's the problem. Like, that is it. Now, he does have Preston Williams, so he does have that young possible up-and-comer. But he had no depth. You know, if before this trade, you felt really bad for anybody on that bench that you necessarily had to play where, um, the you know, the other guy involved with it had a lot more options so he could give up a little more. And to Justin's credit – he did get the other team's best receiver. You know, he, uh, you know, the other guy has Jarvis and other than Jarvis, you're going all the way down to people like uh, Terry McLaurin, you know, Lazard, you know, the only thing that I would have said maybe based off of, you know, what Justin wanted to do, cause this is a dynasty league, right? Yes. So based off of that, like, do you think you're going to win now? Which obviously his top end roster is maybe good enough to win right now. I've maybe, you could have maybe pushed because of Kamara. Like if you had the, I don't know how who proposed to, but maybe you could push for a pick or maybe if you're really looking to rebuild, I maybe think you he build. ended up acquiring, I think he acquired a couple of third round picks. Oh, well then, okay. Well then that's, then it's definitely, then I think that's even more, more like that on the back end, more bullets in the gun, more dart throws. Cause I would have said, maybe you push for somebody like Terry McLaurin, who's you would assume is going to have a longer career starting now than Allen Robinson. McLaurin's coming off injury, but Allen Robinson had his fair share. You know, he's, he, he's a, you know, a worn tour guy too. So I think I'll give him credit. He went after the best two players on the other guy's team and he got them. So, um, you know, like I said, I, I appreciate looking at big names. I, I, I always, I always try to get a mini involved with that. Cause you know, that's, you know, it's, it's not real. It's fantasy. So that's where the fun happens. Exactly. All right. Well, we enjoyed uh, evaluating the trade uh, listeners. If you uh, ever want to send us a, a trade question or anything like that, follow us on Twitter at fantasy pandemic. Uh, you can follow myself at fantasy Cajun and you can follow Vincent at FF Littlefinger. Uh, moving on to the tight end rankings. Uh, 
Yeah, I think one thing's pretty crystal clear here, Vincent, and that's our, our top three tight ends. Uh, really, uh, really going on to our top five tight ends are really pretty crystal clear to me. Um, you know, it's Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Mark Andrews, Darren Waller, and Zach Ertz. We both have the same top five, really top, actually top seven, eight. <laughs> we wow, have the same crazy. top eight tight ends. Just, I'm just now noticing that. Yeah, no, that's uh, it, it, it definitely doesn't help the radio, but – it's uh, and you know, like I said, we like we said before, we don't look at these, we don't discuss, you know, our values other than kind of how we think about people. But it is interesting we have a spot for spot. Um, I'm not as surprised, for example, like with your Earths ranking. I, I know there are a lot of Earths believers. I've had a lot of good years with Zach Ertz, but uh, I know uh, I'm sure Goddard's going to come up here in a little bit. You know, I know you're a Goddard guy, um, especially for Dynasty. I think that he's going to have redraft value uh, beginning this year. Uh, looks like a little more so than you. So I do think that's going to hurt Ertz. I do think they go receiver in the draft. Um, you know, he is a – he has an injury history. Um, and the other guys are younger. I mean, Waller is the number one option, you know, until they bring another receiver. But it's only going to – another receiver should only free him up. Now, they may have eight tight ends on that team. But I think <laughs> we all know that Waller is going to be the one who gets the production. Uh, Andrews is the, you know, uh, Lamar's lifeline. He's, you know, he's going to be the most targeted probably receiver or pass catcher on the team. So, you know, it's huge, a big, big ceiling and a huge floor. Yeah. Andrews um, is the, was the number one receiving option in Baltimore last year. You know, and he was in his second season. You know, he had 10 touchdowns last season on 68 receptions, 852 yards for 2019. I mean, that was really solid numbers for a second year tight end. If you were someone who had the luxury of getting Mark Andrews last year, you probably got him in the double-digit rounds. And that's someone who, who won fantasy championships uh, for you last year, no doubt about it. Yep, and then, and moving Hayden Hurst from there also, I mean, it, it just hurts because, I mean, Hurst, yeah, it, uh, it hurts, hurts. But it, uh, it frees up a spot for sure because there was that concern because you didn't know who it was going to be because then they have, uh, what, uh, Boyle as well? Yeah. So, you know, they with that running game, there's a lot of tight ends on the field. Uh, three sometimes, all three of them been on the field, you know, and it's dependent on the uh, formation. So losing a tight end that, you know, you know, projected to have a role in the future um, is only going to free up Andrews a lot more. Uh, I think the only real interesting thing uh, really with the top five is how they are impacted outside of redraft leagues, you know, in dynasty, you know, that's where I think you can have some real debate because of the youth of uh, Andrews, uh, the youth, you know, Waller, and then, you know, Kittle being not nearly what Kelsey's been in his career. Like, how far down does Kelsey fall in a dynasty perspective? Man, I'm not sure how, how far Kelsey would, would fall. I would still take him in the top three rounds, I think. I think he's got a good uh, three or four seasons. I'm not really sure how old is he, but I don't think he's – I'm not sure he's hit 30 quite yet, which tells me he's got about three or four good more years. And I, I think I would still take him uh, top three rounds in the dynasty if it was a PPR or half going PPR for that matter. What if I told you he was 30? 30? I, I would still take him in the top three rounds, I think. Right. See, and I guess maybe that's where um, I would differ some in the sense that I would not necessarily take Kelsey in the top – I would take him probably. I would take him the second tight end off the board because I do think I would go to Kittle because I can d- I can dig that because in a, in a dynasty because of his influence in the offense, I'd love to see it one more year for Andrews only because you know what Kelsey is because he is going to 
be the number one tight end if all things stay equal. But I think the value of tight end, because he would be the first one off the board, I do agree with you that he has a few years. But I think that the gap closes, and I think it moves all tight ends down You know, from a startup standpoint, if you're looking at it from that perspective. Because you know that the one thing about tight end is Andrews was so remarkable because it was the second year. And having that type of impact, you know, when those young guys make that jump, usually expect the tight end for the third year because they have to do so much more. It's so much easier, yeah, air, you know, easier being relative. You know, it's easier for a running back to come in and make an impact because, look, you know, you've been reading the holes your whole life. You know, here's the ball, hit the hole, do what you got to do. You know, wide receivers always needed that third year breakout until, you know, except for the few exceptions. But tight end, you know, that you're coming in as a 22 year old. And you're going against these DNs and D linemen and freaking men grown, and you have to know the pass and the freaking run and everything else. And to make an impact, you need to be you know on the field at all the time. So Andrews making that jump this year was even more impressive. So it's uh it, it is you know just for something to spitball with because I, I think we we're very comfortable. Um, like uh, uh, some people are going to prefer Ertz. You know, some people last year Ertz was in that top tier, um, and he performed well. I mean, he ended up you know PPR. He was fourth tight end at the end of the year. Uh, I just, I think that Waller and Andrews can offer more upside as Ertz ages down and gets, you know, the, the ball spread around a little bit more to a probably a superior athlete, even though he probably still will be Wentz's number one target. I think there's going to be a number one target in Philadelphia is not going to matter as much as the number one in other places. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And, you know, I, I will say this, you know, looking at our top five tight ends, you're gonna pay. You're gonna pay a price if you're in a redraft league. I mean, you're paying probably top five round uh, price on all five of these tight ends. Um, looking at six, you know, another guy who's who I've always been high on, but you know has a lot of trouble staying on the field. And that's Evan Ingram. You know, he, come, he came out of Ole Miss. He was always gave LSU all kind of fits. Uh, he, he felt like he was at Ole Miss for five or six years. Every time that he played LSU, he just torched us. You know, now he's over uh, in with the Giants. He's been there for a few seasons. He's had had some good seasons. He hasn't topped his, his rookie season, and he's going on his fourth year now. Um, you know, the biggest issue with Evan Ingram is can he stay on the field? You know, the last two seasons, he's missed 19 of his last 32 games. Uh, in 2020, he only played eight games, but when he was on the field, Daniel Jones looked for him, and he was a heavy focus. You know, he had 68 targets in eight, eight games, 44 receptions, and three touchdowns. But, you know, uh, in this offense, you know, can they stay healthy? Daniel Jones goes into his second year. Saquon Barkley is going into his third year, looking to really bounce back from a kind of a so-so year last year. You've got Serling Shepard on the outside with uh, with Slayton, Golden Tate. I mean, this 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 offense has a lot of potential, and Evan Evan Ingram can be a big part of that. And if he stays on the field and stays healthy, I think he could have a, a really solid season. I mean, he could certainly return value. You know, if you can snag him and say the you know fifth through seventh round, I think he could return you know maybe top five value if he stays on the field. Oh, I think without a doubt. He was my guy last year. He was who I wanted. I thought he was somebody that you would not have to pay that top-tier price for, and he could offer that type of uh, result. Uh, I accidentally I – mean, we were doing a work draft over at uh, with a coworker and drinking, not paying attention, kind of bullshit. And it was my last draft. It was, you know, Tuesday before the Thursday kickoff. I'd been doing mocks and everything, kind of – got cocky and I'm like double clicking friggin' ended up with OJ Howard instead of uh, Ingram. <laughs> and then Ingram went off week one. I was like, son of a bitch. 
but it ended up not mattering because it was a wash and I had to go to the well anyways for a tight end. But he, uh, if he could be on the field and some of, obviously the injury is the biggest hinder, uh, hindrance to any sort of production. If you're not on the field, you can't perform. But I mean, the Giants have been a steaming pile of shit the last two years. So, you know, they're not quite, you know, they're, maybe they're like Miami North, you know, they, they've been held back because of circumstance and, the difference is you can expect the Giants to – you can hope the Giants will turn it around much quicker because they are a proud franchise. You know, I don't know necessarily if they're being run the best way anymore, but they have a history of winning and expect to win. You know, they're not the Jets. So they're going to be able to, you would hope, turn the corner much quicker. There is a whole lot of light on that offense. There should be a light at the end of the tunnel, and you hope it's not a train coming in the other direction. But if he can be on the field – he is a complete matchup nightmare, especially when there are a lot of other options to keep attention drawn away from him. Uh, my only concern with him that we talked about, I think, when we did the uh, uh, the divisional overview, was rumor has it, you know, he's a, he's possibly a draft day mover. You know, he could be. The Giants are talking that you know they kind of moving away. Maybe they're frustrated with the injury. Maybe it's something else. New regime coming in. So uh, it'll be interesting, you know, look, but as long as he's on the Giants, there's nobody else to threaten that position. And, you know, there should be he's, – he's a superior talent. You know, it's going to be Saquon one, and after that, it's going to be a crapshoot between the, you know, him and the two other receivers, not Golden Tate, for targets. Yeah, so, it, it would be a total Giants move to move someone like Evan Ingram on draft day. You know, you know they have a history of moving big players – uh, in the off season that really just say they want to get out of New York and they basically ship them out and let them go. Uh, you know, look at Odell Beckham Jr. It, it would surprise me because Evan Ingram, I think has a better head on his shoulders than Odell Beckham Jr. But it certainly would not surprise me if it was, you know, the giants ended up shipping them out. Cause it would just be a total giants move. Um, and it, I, after that, it would be completely where he ends up. I, the situation can't be better. I mean, just because, you know, other, outside of being out of New York and not on the Giants, there is not a better just landing spot, if you will, that I can think of just off the top of my head to where you're like, oh, man, he goes there. He's going to freaking be the guy, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, I think I think you're right about that. that there's, I mean, I, I feel like tight end this year when I was looking at my rankings, uh, it's, it's actually deeper than it has been in quite some time, certainly last year, because I thought after tight end, you know, after the you know, top three, it was basically a shit show the rest of the season with, with you know, depending on who it was. I mean, because Evan Ingram was ranked in the top seven last year. And, you know, he definitely did not return that type of value. Um, i tell you what, though, this next guy on the list who I'm pretty high on last year, or, um, I'm pretty high on this year, and he won me a championship last year. I picked him up in the free agency in the, on the wire, and that's Jared Cook out of New Orleans. Um, Cook has always shown potential wherever he's been, you know, whether he was with the Rams, you know, now with the Saints, he's always had that big playability. You know, he showed it in Oakland for one season and then Oakland let him go. And that's when he came over to the Saints, you know, the Saints signed him for, I think it was a two year deal for around 17, 18 million dollars a year. You know, finally the Saints kind of, you know, had a tight end, you know, someone that really could replace uh, Jimmy Graham because uh, Fleener and Josh Hill just wanted to answer and like I said, you know, Jared Cook was a big body, 6'5". He's about 245, and but he was just never consistent, you know, until the last two seasons where he was with Oakland and then with the Saints last year. Basically, you know, from week five on, you know, he was a top-flight tight end week in and week out. Um, you know, he got hurt in week three at Seattle. You know, he, he bounced back the next week, had a couple receptions. But from week five to week 17, he had 47 targets, 35 receptions, nine touchdowns, and 615 yards receiving. 
you know, that even out to 150 fantasy points. And when it, when you look at that over, you know, the nine, 10 game stretch, it was 15 points a game. You know, that ranked number five overall in a PPR league. And that was the third highest average in that, that week span. So, you know, Jared Cook was someone who probably got drafted around, you know, eight to 10 rounds last, last year. And he returned, ended up returning pretty high value because I know that in the, this, in the playoffs, when it was championship week in week 16, he scored two touchdowns and had like three or four catches for 80-something yards. Really helped me, you know, take that ball from my championship last year in my own league. Yeah, he was probably the biggest beneficiary of the fact that Michael Thomas got all the attention because they never had that number two receiver. So it's going to be very interesting how things change with a healthy Kamara and then now you bring in Emmanuel Sanders. So uh, I don't think that there is a uh, – I don't think right now that I would be comfortable ranking him any lower. I do think some of his ceiling is probably limited, especially on the back end of the season where he was the healthiest man left that was competent and capable of catching passes. So I do think that there is some limited upside other than the fact that they're going to play eight games in the Dome and assuming it's a regular season and and he can score a lot of points because the Saints can put up a lot of points. You know, the opportunity will be there because of the offense, not necessarily because of the personnel this year. So I think there is going to be some uh, some balancing. I think he maybe come down to earth some, but at the same time, he was so – it really came out the gate. You know, it felt really sluggish and inconsistent as he built that rapport and Breeze got hurt and Teddy came in. So I think you're exactly right. Like at the back end of the season, everybody was – who was healthy was hitting that gear, hitting their stride at the right time. And you would hope that there'd be some continuous there. Maybe he doesn't start slow at all because he does have that rapport with Breeze where Sanders is going to have to build it. So I do think that he goes in as the number, you know, two and a half target, him and Kamara, um, as far as, you know, other than Michael Thomas. But uh, I think he can win you a week but I wouldn't expect this massive upside that even some guys maybe below him may offer because there are limited options in the offense. Would it surprise you, know I mean? you if he scored 10 touchdowns this season? Uh, yeah, I, I think 10 would be because – 10 would be a lot because you got to – well, you expect most tight ends to be red zone guys. Uh, one thing Cook's shown is he can break a big play. Because of the matchup, I mean, he can freaking put his arm on somebody, slam him to the ground, and he can get to the end zone. But it's touchdown. It won't. It would not surprise me. But Taysom Hill comes in on the red zone. Latavius gets red zone touches. Kamar gets red zone. Michael Thomas is getting looks, and then who knows with the other receivers. Um, and then if they're on the one or the two, Breeze is jumping over the pile and sticking his arms out. So. If the Saints' offense is churning as it should be, not necessarily, but I think that it's going to be more indicative of the volume of touchdowns the Saints score rather than him having a higher percentage of it, if that if you're following yeah, me there. I mean, just remember, the last 10 games of the season, he had nine touchdowns. You know, Breeze came back. I find that Breeze likes to look for a tall, big-bodied tight end in the end zone. I think Jimmy Graham, when Jimmy Graham was here with the Saints – and he, he peppered Jimmy Graham in the red zone. And I felt like he, he, he built that connection with Jared Cook last year. He may not be a, a big, you know, yardage guy, but I think he can be a big touchdown guy. Well, I mean, Drew's like 5'6". So he, the only things he can see over the pile is Michael Thomas and Jared Cook at this point. So 
It, you know, you, you throw it at what you can see. And all the, maybe that's the problem with the whole thing. Drew's too short to see smaller receivers. So we should only draft big guys and just let them loose. We should be just USC receivers from here on out. We should be like the, the line. That's all it should be. <laughs> that makes plenty of sense. I'll tell you what, this next guy on our list, who I can damn well sure tell you that we're probably higher on than anyone else, and that's Jack Doyle out of Indianapolis. Um, you know, he's certainly not a name that brings excitement or, you know, a whole, a whole lot of versatility. You know, he's a, a big white receiver running down the middle of the field. Um, he gets open. He reminds me a little bit of Jason Witten. You know, nothing flashy, nothing fancy. But uh, if you get the ball in his vicinity, he, he's going to catch it, and he's probably going to get you 10 to 12 yards. Yeah, I think Witten's a great comparison because, you know, I don't think he's quite as athletic as, say, like uh, Dallas Clark was no. when he played for the Colts. But uh, he uh, – I've, I've, I've gone my river spill, you know, when we went to the divisional. I, why – Rivers coming there, he loves the tight end. They're going to have to tailor some of the offense to what Rivers' strengths are. And I think that's, you know, Naheen Hines and uh, Doyle, especially with Ebron being gone. Um, you know, a lot of the receivers have changed. T.Y. does not fit the best uh, skill set for what Rivers has done historically. And what Frank Reich and them want to do is – that Philadelphia diversify, spread it around, use the tight ends, and he is the tight end. Now, this is huge. The tight end, essentially, for almost everybody I talked about, it's all health permitting. But these guys, because of the position they play, just seem like they're always freaking banged up. You know, Kelsey may or may not always have something. Kittle's always bleeding somewhere. Andrews has been hurt. Waller has other sorts of histories, but he got banged up a little. Ertz obviously has a history. Ingram. You know, Cook's probably the healthiest of the group, and he's, you know, been around forever. So, and Doyle, you know, consistently misses. So, you you always want to play Doyle or Ebron. But right now, at least Ebron's gone. And all those touchdowns, that was what's so frustrating about owning Doyle before. That he'd get like eight targets for like five catches and say he gets 60 yards, which is fine for a tight end. But then Ebron would get two catches for two touchdowns. And you're like – well, I, I played the matchup right, just my tight end fucked me twice, or Ebron fucked me twice. Either way, I get gang-banged by the Colt tight ends. But now that I don't have to worry about that, I only have to worry about one guy, I, I think the volume is going to be there. I think the offense is going to be more stable. For whatever Rivers is or is not, he's probably an upgrade from what Brissett was, especially after he got banged up and some confidence, I think, got shattered there. And I think they knew they had to build some, bring somebody else in if they want to win now. So I was surprised how high you had him. I knew how high I was on him. Um, it's funny that we have him at the exact same spot because I know that, you know, a lot of industry people are much more down on them. But uh, he's the type of guy that I can wait now till you know, I'll definitely go kicker defense last and maybe go quarterback tight end, and I will just have running backs and receivers because I feel very comfortable with a lot of guys and Doyle's probably going to be the deepest one of that. Yeah. I mean, when you really look at it, I mean, now, you know, Doyle's got a quarterback who absolutely loves tight ends, Philip Rivers, you know, um, you know, in 2017, you know, Doyle did have a pretty good season. You know, had 80 receptions, you know, 690 yards and four touchdowns with Andrew Luck. Um, You know, the key is, like you said, you know, he does get banged up. You know, he does have some unproven receivers outside of T.Y. Hilton, you know, Paris Campbell's coming off IR. Zach Pascal, you know, did flash the potential last year. Can he take another step? Uh, the good thing about Doyle is Ebron's gone down to the Steelers. So, you know, 
Jack Doyle is there, you know, by himself now. If he can stay healthy, I, I mean, I think he's probably a lock for you know, another, you know, seventy catches for eight hundred yards, and I think he can do eight to ten touchdowns if if he stays on the field, especially with Philip Rivers at quarterback. And I think similar to how we talked about Ingram, the Giants have been in transition. It seems for like two years. Uh, you know, the Andrew Luck retirement completely set back the franchise. You know, at least a season or two. And they've been trying to figure it out with Brissett and what they were going to do and adjusting and then the new coach is before that. I just – some of these franchises I think are about to stabilize and offer more opportunity. And I think Doyle and the Colts are going to be able to take it a step offensively uh, as far as Rivers can take them. So I do think there is some limitation there, but I still think it is a significant improvement over the last couple of years. And look, even when Andrew Luck last played – he performed, but very inconsistent. So hopefully Rivers can keep the turnovers down. And if they can just stably churn and play their terrible divisional defenses, then, you know, you get four games between the Texans and the Jags, and then you get the Titans at home. So you hope that there's five games that you're able to, you know, compete, put up points, and then see what the rest of the schedule looks like. So I'm really high on him. I think they're, you know, it's what you want. You want opportunity and the nature of the offense and that's it's going to flow on these short checkdowns and that should be where he is so uh you know he's i think there's a huge floor but it, the ceiling's probably a little limited but there is a glimmer of hope and if 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 he went off this year and had some sort of career year it would not surprise me at all and could never come close to repeating it again either yeah i agree with you there um i think he could have a career and it would not surprise me um you know, moving ahead, you know, we finally have a little bit of difference, difference in rankings here. You know, glancing over your rankings, you know, you've got Hunter Henry at nine, Dallas Goddard at 10, OJ Howard 11. Uh, I tell you what, uh, Henry at nine, you know, that kind of goes along with your your theory on the, the, the Chargers offense. You know, you're, you're, I know you're pretty high on Tyrod. I know you're high on Keenan Allen a little bit. You're high on Eckler. Uh, Henry, you know, I own him in Dynasty. Um, when he was on the field, I found he was just very inconsistent. Maybe that was because of Phillip Rivers. Um, I don't think he's going to get much better consistent with Tyrod Taylor. You know, and Henry does struggle to stay on the field. Um, I do think that offense is going to stay, take a step back outside of Austin Eckler, um, especially if they draft someone like Justin Herbert in, in the draft. Um, Henry is just somebody who, while I was high on Dynasty last year, he just really didn't have that return value. And I don't think Tyrod Taylor is going to make, make him much better. Right, I have two. Uh, right now, I have Henry at the back end of my t- third tier, and honestly, he should probably be the start of the fourth tier because those top, the top eight are the ones that I feel are the safest with both consistency upside. And this is where, you know, the tier, you know, nine to twenty is an absolute coin flip, and it goes into preference. And honestly, you're going into streamers at this point because almost everybody's going to have a tight end. At the, you know, and people that roster two tight ends, well, good for you. I don't, I don't get it. Those are the same people with two quarterbacks, and that's why I have a better running back and wide receiver depth on my bench because that's what I usually try to stock in those places. So uh, it, I think it's a matter of who they're playing week one, and you'll have an idea going into the season and see how some of these other things, you know, like you said, O.J. Howard at 11, that is a complete upside Tom Brady, you know, the whole Rivers-Doyle argument, and it's a Brady-O.J. Howard argument. Um, and you hope that, O.J. Howard wakes up or Arian stops hating him, but neither may happen. So it, it, it's right now 
O.J. Howard easily could be the one most likely to not be ranked because last year he arguably should not have been ranked. And people drafted him and people played drafted him. him and high. you hear drafted him high. I like I, I no lie. I wanted Evan Ingram. I double clicked O.J. Howard and I was like, oh shit. Well, you know what? It'll be okay. I had Ingram in another league in my home league. I'm like, well, I'll be able to diversify. I don't want the same guy in both leagues. Well, Ingram got hurt. And it didn't matter because O.J. Howard just never showed up. So, it, it real frustrating last year, but uh, he is one of the most talented tight ends in the league that can do everything. What happened in Tampa last year, I don't think anybody really knows. I mean, unless he was just banging the coach's wife. I don't, I don't think there's a way to really identify. And then, you know, with Goddard, uh, he was a top 10 tight end last year. You know, back in, he was 10, I think. But it was – He's the second best receiver outside of Ertz on the team. And it's funny that we have to compare, you know, Ertz and Goddard to a situation like uh, Julio and Ridley. You know, I think that Goddard's on that way up. And there's going to, you know, by some point in the season, there could be a switch or at least an even level. And either with a rookie rod receiver or the, you know, the, the senior citizens they have on the outside right now, those are the two options for Wentz. Uh, and, you know, the, there isn't, you know, Sproles, I don't think, is coming back this year. I think he's finally retiring, which is only going to free up whatever touches that they insisted, Peterson insisted giving him and the other guys. You know, I just, I think there's a ton of upside and I think there's a safety there because I do think that when you talk about Ertz and Goddard, you're talking about the true, like you're, how we talk about Andrews and Kittle, like they are the true number one receivers on their team and Goddard is just the second best receiver on that team. Uh, so I, it's just tons of safety. Henry, there may be some recency bias just because of the name, but I do think he's a gifted guy. I don't know if he can stay healthy, and but I am a little higher on the San Diego offense. Tyrod's been there to be in the offense, so I don't think that that is going to change as far as when he's on the field. He is absolutely going to contribute. Um, Dynasty, I'm kind of on the fence on him. I kind of sit him in the same little area, but you know, it's, uh, it's pick your poison, honestly, from here on yeah, out, I mean, you know, and everybody's going to have their preferences. Yeah, and so do to I. be honest with you, uh, you know, looking at the rankings really hard right now, I think after seven, I think eight to 20, I think you can just pick your poison because I think you're going to have a number of rankings and a number of these tight ends, you know, you know, ranked from anywhere from 10 to 20. And I, I think you can make different arguments for all kinds of receivers, all kinds of tight ends. You know, when I'm looking at your rankings, looking at my rankings, you know, we have a lot of tight end kind of discrepancy. I've got Mike Jacecki at 12. You've got Mike Jacecki at 18. Uh, you've got uh, Hayden Hurst at 17. I've got Hayden Hurst at 14. Uh, I think Hayden Hurst has got potential to be someone who could, you know, hop in that top 12. If he immediately jumps into that Austin Hooper role, you know, Hayden Hurst is an older tight end. You know, he came out of South Carolina, you know, caused havoc in the SEC East. You know, he was really one of the best players on the field for South Carolina for about three years running. And, you know, now he finally gets out, you know, uh, from under, you know, Mark Andrews at Baltimore and he gets shipped over to Atlanta for, you know, basically he's going to be the tight end one over there. And I think he could easily fill that Austin Hooper role of, you know, Mr. Garbage Time Production, Mr. I'm going to catch like eight catch eight balls in the fourth quarter with for 50 yards because all Matt Ryan's doing is dumping the ball off because, you know, they're down by 25 or 30 points in the fourth quarter. Uh, I definitely think Hayden Hurst can certainly fill that Austin Hooper role. And I do think he can make, uh, finish in the top 12. Um, you know, we kind of bounce around too, you know, uh, 
I'll tell you one name that we were both kind of uh, agreement on, and that's Austin Hooper going to Cleveland. I've got him at 16. You've got him at 20. You know, he's now the highest paid tight end in the NFL. And look where we have him ranked. You have him at 20. I have him at 16. That's how much we think about that trade. Yeah, but this is why we're probably not experts, and maybe we're stupid. But I can tell you that most people probably have Doyle and Hooper switching their ranks. Definitely. And I just – I, 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 I do not see the opportunity. I do not see the upside. I, I don't see a floor. I don't see – I don't expect there to be – I expect there to be a low ceiling. I just – so they're coming in, they're going to do the fancy offense, they're going to run two tight ends. That's great. How many people started Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr. last few years? Like, it, is there going to be a touchdown opportunity? Sure. Are they going to try to force him the ball probably because of what they're paying him? I would hope so. But they're also paying – Chubb, OBJ, Jarvis, and Kareem Hunt, and Njoku still on the team. It's just somebody's mouth is not going to be able to get fed. And I just – Jarvis and Baker have the rapport. Beckham has a skill set that nobody else offers. Chubb's getting his carries. How the fuck is Austin Hooper going to get this love that people just expect? Like, I just – it was an unfathomable signing, both destination and contract when it happened. And I'm from a fantasy perspective. I just I cannot. Maybe I completely missed the boat. But I uh, it, I put him at twenty, and I keep looking. I'm like, well, who can I put him ahead of? And I really feel comfortable with everybody I have above him. And honestly, I could be I can make a case for like three or four people below him as well. I just I don't I don't see it. Yeah, I I, I don't. It doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't get it. Yeah, it really doesn't because, I mean, you're absolutely right. You talk about all the, you know, all the mouths to feed over there. You know, and Austin Hooper, if you look at, you know, some of the other professionals, uh, you know, in the industry, you know, they have him routinely ranked in the top 10. And I really just don't see it. And I know you're in agreement with me for everything that you just stated. I'm in agreement. I just don't see it happening. You know, I tell you what, though, you know, someone who I, I do could see it possibly happening. You know, you and I are kind of both in this similar boat, and that's John New Smith out of Tennessee. Uh, I've got him ranked at 11. You've got him ranked at 13, both higher than Austin Hooper. Um, you know, John New Smith is entering his fourth season. He's got some stability at quarterback with Ryan Tannehill. You know, when Marcus Mariota was uh, quarterback of the Titans, uh, the first eight games, the first seven games of the season, Marcus Mariota targeted uh, John New Smith eight times, eight times in seven games and six receptions, 99 yards and zero touchdowns. From there on out, when Ryan Tannehill came in, uh, he had 36 targets, 29 receptions, 342 yards and, and three touchdowns. Uh, I know that's not massive numbers. But that averages out to about 10 points per game. And, you know, that may be somebody who you can pick up as a bi-week filler or, you know, maybe as if you're going, you know, double risk at tight end, you know, maybe you pair him up with John o. Smith with someone like uh, like a Tyler Higby or, you know, or like someone like a Hayden Hurst, you know, just in case. Um, you know, he's someone who can, you know, actually score a little bit of points. You know, I think Tannehill's going to, you know, continue to look for him as, you know, as that offense starts to build up with A.J. Brown. You know, you've got Derrick Henry there as well. You know, can Tannehill and the Titans take the next step? If they do, I think Jonu Smith could be a big part of that. Uh, yeah, and everything you said about Johnny Smith, I would pivot and even add along to kind of what I expect with Ian Thomas. You know, you have him at 15, I have him at yeah. 14. So I think very similar situations in the sense that, you know, they are the guy. Uh, they 
at least we know why Johnny was higher probably for both of us that we know he has a, some rapport with Tannehill and he's been there and shown it. You know, Ian Thomas has been in Carolina, but now a new coaching staff. Um, I expect the offense to diversify, which I do think is going to help Ian Thomas because I think they're going to spread the ball a lot uh, and he's going to be on the field every play. Receivers are going to come in and come out. And Teddy hasn't shown historically that he wants to chuck it. So a lot of passes close to the line of scrimmage, tight end checkdowns. So, and uh, what Brady showed at LSU, he'll throw it to everybody wherever the matchup is uh, with Thaddeus Moss having a career year at last year for LSU, a historic year for LSU football. So I think that he gets that opportunity in that role and doesn't have Greg Olson vulturing opportunities and touchdowns and just forcing in the starting lineup because of his name's Greg Olson. I think that they're, you know, I think him and Johnu Smith, you know, are very comparable there. And, you know, this is the part of the, you know, where you talked about nine to 20, how are you building your team and how do you want to look at tight end? Uh, I think these two guys are safe. Um, I kind of put Noah Fant in that group as well. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, some offenses that are going to hopefully be on the way up and be able to move the ball and move some things around and have other uh, points of emphasis that are going to draw the defense's attention. I think that, you know, you have safe, you know, some good floors with, you know, probably not a whole lot of upside. That's why these guys are here. And some some of them are going to go undrafted. But I think you can start your year with that. Or you roll the dice on O.J. Howard. He ghosts you for the first two weeks. We'll cut him for one of these guys that are going to probably put up, you know, like you said, the 10 points a game. So he's going to be somewhere between what, like seven or 13? Probably if he gets a touchdown or not, that's where he's, you know, going to live. It's just – who do you want to tie in if you don't go for one of those big guys? And ultimately it's going to be, you know, a get through training game, who's healthy, who's quarterback's healthy. And what is the first half of the, what are their first four games look like? What do those matchups look like? And, you know, based off of that, I think Hurst has that same opportunity as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, you know, as I look, you know, more in depth and more deeper in the tight end rankings, I see a lot of young tight ends who are, you know, coming into their own, they're becoming number one options at their tight end positions you know, are they ready to take that next step? And I see a lot of young names between my rankings and your rankings, guys that I, I would probably be willing to take some risks on, you know, late in drafts, you know, in order for some big payoffs. You know, another person I'm, I like is Jay Sternberger out of Green Bay. Uh, Sternberger is, you know, entering his second season, Jimmy Graham off to Chicago. Um, you know, Sternberger was a force at Texas A&M. He constantly, you know, wrecked havoc on the SEC West, whether it was Bama or LSU. You know, he was definitely notorious for catching the final touchdown uh, in the seven overtime LSU net Texas A&M game. Uh, but now he steps into his own. You know, he was an older tight end. He's a bigger guy. He, he can go across the middle. He's got really good hands. Um, his biggest uh, issue, in my opinion, is can he develop that rapport for Aaron Rodgers with Aaron Rodgers? And does Aaron Rodgers really like him? Because if he does and if they can build their rapport, well, you know, right now outside of Devontae Adams, they're still looking for that second option in the passing game. You know, right now it's kind of one of the running backs, whether it's Andrew or Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams. Uh, Jay Sternberger um, can definitely certainly step up and maybe become that second passing option in Green Bay. Yes, uh, for me, kind of apples and apples, I'm probably more of a Hawkinson guy right there. I, you know, the second-year guy, he showed it. He got banged up. He got hurt. Stafford went down. You know, you lose that opportunity. I think that the – more likely want person to take that step uh, is going to be Hawkinson only because Aaron Rodgers has never 
leaned on a tight end or really utilized one. Finley had one good year and was drafted for three years after that, trying to find that fire again that happened. You know, Jimmy would score some touchdowns, but I never wanted to start Jimmy since he left New Orleans. Like, I've never felt good about it. They had those years. You could, you could, get, you could do it with Russell Wilson, but then Jimmy really started getting banged up. And, you know, the shadow of Jimmy ended up in Green Bay, and now the ghost of him is in Chicago. So, I just – Aaron Rodgers just has never really utilized one, you know. And Stafford, to his credit, hasn't either. Like the NFC North hates tight ends for some reason. So, but I think that there is an opportunity very similar. And, again, this comes down to, you know, if we get to the same spot in the draft and me and you are at the 11-12 – you know, it's, you're going to go Sternberger at the end of yours, and I'm going to go Hawkinson at the end of mine, and that's where you're kind of weighing these guys out. And it's, it's just I feel much more comfortable. Like you said last year, there was so much more doubt and dismay about who was available at the position. Everybody really reached, 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 reached. And then come to find out, you find these guys, Waller and Andrews, late in the draft, and some of these other guys that contributed week in and week out, you know, until they got hurt, and you could shuffle it around and, you know, it may be best that if you miss out on the first five guys that you feel comfortable and say somebody doesn't believe in Ertz. So right now, my four that I like week is starting in and out and probably Cook because I think he's safest of that group, even maybe safer than Ertz or Ingram. Maybe just stream it and don't worry about it. And don't waste that, you know, don't dra- waste the draft capital on it because all these guys, you know, Gasecki as well, who you brought up, all the are going to have – Week in and week out opportunities, and I think you hope to find like hit lightning in the model and ride that wave as long as you can. Yeah, I mean, even when you know, just like you're saying, you know, the tight end looks extremely deep this year, and I, I could be I could be satisfied with streaming some of these guys because I, I think some of these guys can hit any given week, and even you know, maybe take off and make that kind of a Mark Andrews or Darren Waller type of jump next year. I mean, I see some names, you know, going even after 20 that I could see potentially making a, a, you know, some type of jump like that. You know, someone like a Chris Herndon out of the New York Jets, you know, I know he's miserable in the Adam Gaze offense, but, you know, that there's a lot of targets leaving, you know, the Jets. You know, Jamison Crowder's there, Bashad Perriman comes in. You know, Herndon's always had that talent, you know, had a little off the field trouble, you know, gets injured. You know, can he stay healthy? I do think he does have some upside that, you know, he could potentially hit on a couple of weeks. Um, another guy I see, you know, on this list who I know from uh, a Tom Brady standpoint, watching him, you know, conduct his offense in New England, you know, Tom Brady always went to receivers where he knew they were going to be and they were doing their job, whether it was the tight end of the receiver. If you weren't doing your job and weren't where you're supposed to be, you weren't getting the football. That's why people like, you know, Julian Edelman. Uh, Gronk, James White, you know, they got peppered and peppered with targets because Tom Brady relied on them and he trusted on them. And I think this is another person who would not shock me at all if he scored, say, eight touchdowns this year. That's someone at Cam- Cameron Braid, who I've got ranked at 27. Uh, you know, Cameron Braid's a great route runner. He's a kind of a bigger version of Jeremy w- uh, Jason Witten. Um, you know, and not too long ago, Tampa paid him a, a pretty, pretty nice, healthy contract. You know, so I, I'm sure Tampa would love to see that uh, that contract get cashed a little bit better than, you know, what it has been. You know, James has certainly never developed that rapport. But Tom Brady, I feel like, is certainly someone who, you know, can target Cameron Brakes. I think he'll he'll trust Cameron Brake early and often, where I think O.J. Howard may falter there. 
Yeah, I think uh, we both need to find new podcast partners because thinking the exact same is probably becoming painful for our listeners because when you started looking down, Herndon and Brait were my two that I could really see jumping. So for the sake of material, I'm going to jump back to the top because I agree with everything you just said about <laughs> both of them. Um, and Tyler Higby's one. You know, I have him at 15. You have him – where do you have Higby? You hate nine. Higby. No, you have him at nine. You love Higby. I so, do. I have him at 15. You have him at nine, so definitely don't want to skip over him because he did average – or he had 62 targets the last six weeks and absolutely went off and absolutely helped me win a couple championships. Uh, you, you're losing Brandon Cooks. You're losing Gurley. Obviously, we expect Cooper Cup and Robert Woods to benefit a lot from that. Um, I think they are going to have to throw more. So my only concern with Higby is the Everett factor. And both because both tight ends performed when they were on the field. And it, we got lucky that Higby was the healthy one at the end of the year. But a lot of people didn't start Higby. Uh, I don't remember if it was that week 15 or that week 16 because Everett came back and he was the guy before he got hurt. And they're like, oh, is it going to be what and what? And it was still the Higby show. The entire time, and a lot, a lot of people had him on their had them on the, his had him on their bench. So, uh, if he obviously you're even much higher on him than I am, and mine's not a doubt in him. And if it's a direct carryover, if he becomes the true number three with him, Cup and Woods, then he has huge upside. And right now, I have his rank based off of the repeatability of it. I guess you know. I think. I think these guys at the end of the year, you really want to build on that momentum. But at the same time, why is there so much momentum? Because most of the time in the league, it's because, you know, player A and player B are eliminated. Now only player C, D, you know, Greg Ward, for example. Oh, he had a great connection with Carson Wentz. Well, nobody gives a shit. It's Greg Ward. Like, people come back to reality. So it's trying to weigh in, okay, did these guys have a breakout? Or were these guys the last guy standing in the offense? And I think his is probably closer to the breakout, but it definitely because of opportunity. You know, is I don't you know know if he's going to be the only tight end getting run. So, but another guy that you know just to talk to the depth. Somebody you tell me if Tyler Higby's my tight end, then I have a good idea how I drafted the rest of my team, and I feel really good about my chances overall. Yeah, I mean if. Uh, Tyler Higby to me, you know, and I'll explain my ranking number nine for Higby. I didn't even own Higby last year, but uh, Higby's December was basically number one in all the receiving categories in the PPR league. I mean, he was just going the fuck off. And I got Tyler Higby by you in the semifinals last year. I think Higby scored like two touchdowns that week. I mean, he just wrecked me. Not that I was going to probably win that game anyway, but uh, I do remember Higby wrecking me. But I see the Rams uh, playing a 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. You know, I think they drafted Gerald Everett in the second round for that reason. You know, Gerald Everett goes down, Higby emerges and just becomes, you know, the fancy darling tight end who wants a fancy championship for people last year. And, you know, that's kind of why I, I have them him ranked so high at number nine because, you know, you do have uh, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup there, but you lose Todd Gurley. You know, that's that's targets going out the door. You lose Brandon Cooks, who while he was injured last year, the year before that he took up uh, almost 80 catches and over 100 targets. So those targets got to go somewhere. I'm not sure if it's Malcolm Brown or Daryl Henderson, but I do know Tyler Hickey can play some football and he can certainly catch the damn ball. Yeah, weeks 13 through 17 – Here's the stat lines. Seven for 107 and a touch. Seven for 11 for – seven for 116. 
12 for 111, 9 for 104, 8 for 84 in a touch. Yeah, that's wide receiver one numbers. Not tight end one numbers. That's wide receiver one numbers. Absolutely balled out. I just – I hesitate because the beginning of the year when everybody was healthy and he was on the team just like everybody else, you know, it was closer to 4 for 20, 2 for 21, 4 for 41, 3 for 47, and it didn't get any prettier after that. But Everett, in that middle part, right before Higby went off, Everett had a really good three-game stretch, too, if I remember, before he got hurt. So, uh, I I hesitate to rank him as high as you do. I give you props for having the stones to do it. I just – I think he goes into that, you know, middle-of-the-road pack. And, again, you build your team and you feel safe everywhere and you want somebody that can win a position week in and week out – Higby's that type of person, but I don't know if I pair Higby with, you know, Hollywood and David Johnson. <laughs> I don't want a team that's going to ghost me all one week too. So yeah, and that's true, and that certainly can happen. But you know, like like we said, you know, after really you know tight end seven, you know, moving on down from eight to you know twenty twenty one, it's really uh, it's really just a, a matter of your own taste and who you feel comfortable with. Uh, there's uh, plenty of names that I would be more than satisfied with at tight end uh, in that in that listing and that pairing. One one not person, but one position that I'm very interested in is who and how do they deal with the tight end situation in Seattle? You know, they got Disley, they got Olsen, they got whoever else is there that's not dead at the moment because that's just like a a, a mortuary of just just cripples and bastards and broken things. So whoever starts the season as their tight end, they say, because Pete Carroll is going to give somebody a run with whoever it is. But I do think that goes to Greg Olson. If it is him can have some fantasy value, Jason Witten style, not actually Jason Witten style. Cause I, why he went to Vegas, nobody understands, but I do think Olson can offer some serious value with Russell Wilson and his efficiency and having the benefit of having Metcalf on one side and having Tyler Lockett on the other. And when you get to the red zone, they're going to be doubling Metcalf. You know, you know, there's a huge running threat and the best thing for a tight end is a legitimate running threat. And this kind of goes into the, um, the faith in John New Smith. When you're turning around and handling it to King Henry 30 times a game. And now all of a sudden you fake one and pop it over the top there's a reason that those tight ends are going to get that opportunity. And I do think that the offense in Seattle is always tight end friendly. The problem is the tight ends are not like, are, are really, they're really friendly with the athletic trainers. So <laughs> if, if, if they could be more friendly with staying healthy, then I do think that that is a position that is not ranked. I mean, we have people on here. I, ha- I have names that don't matter, but that is something to definitely watch in camp and see how that were to develop. You tell me that there's a draft day trade and the Evan Ingram goes to Seattle. I'm in. Sign me up right now. <laughs> that would make really things interesting in Seattle, especially with Greg Holson and Will Disley and uh, whoever else they have at tight end. Uh, you know, uh, yeah that that uh, that will conclude our tight end show and tight end rankings tonight. Uh, looking ahead on Thursday, we're going to be starting to talk some draft talk. We're going to get into some rookie quarterbacks and rookie running backs. Uh, so if you could please give us a give us a join on that Thursday night for us. Uh, other than that, we appreciate you guys listening. I hope you have a good night. 
Yep, everybody, appreciate it. And please hit us up on Twitter, especially for these rookie shows. If you do have any interest, I know we, you know, I communicate with a few of y'all. Who do you want to hear about, especially if they are off the beaten path? Because obviously Adam and I will be researching it, try to offer some different perspectives. So who do you want to hear about? What do you want to know about them? I can't give you the girlfriend's numbers. They won't talk to you anyways. So remember, knowledge is power. Have a great night.